This could be a really long sermon, so I brought some snacks to share later on. I'll just put these over here. Friends, good morning. It's really good to see you. Welcome to the gathering. My name's Mike Marshall. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it is great to be with you on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, it's always fun to both look ahead and look back, and so in the category of looking ahead, it's going to be exciting for us next Sunday uh, for a new sermon series to begin. Reverend Lance Marshall, our senior pastor, is going to start a series that's called Beginnings. So we look forward to that. That means that this morning is the end of our current sermon series. It's been called Words from the Wise, and we've had just a whole series of different pearls of wisdom from the Old Testament. The, the last two weeks and this morning, those pearls have come from the book of Ecclesiastes, which as I listened to some of you talk over this period of a couple weeks, I realized that for some of you, Ecclesiastes is kind of an acquired taste because it's a book that sometimes you're not really sure you know, where it's going. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Zhenya did a beautiful job of uh, setting the stage in chapter one. And then last week, Pastor Samuel uh, took us through uh, the end of chapter two and that classic section in chapter three, you know, for, every, for everything there is a season and a time under heaven. And in addition to his sermon last week, if you receive our email, Daily Bread, every day, uh, this morning, what he wrote so beautifully was on Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. And he told a story that came from his family. And it was the most tender story in the world. So if you don't currently receive the daily bread, please call the church office at any time, and we'll make sure that you uh, get onto that list because it's just, it's the best way to start your day. And it usually arrives between three and four in the morning. So it's pretty safe it's gonna be there when you open your email. So here we are, we're here on Labor Day weekend. Uh, this goes back to about 1882. Uh, it started in New York City. It started with a machinist and a carpenter, which I think is deliciously appropriate, the two of them created a parade, a parade to honor workers, and honestly, at that time, a parade to help lift up the importance of good working conditions for all people. So, from that time, we are now here today where, you know, it, this weekend symbolizes so many things. I mean, it is about uh, our work and our vocation. Uh, as the United Methodist Book of Worship says, this is a day of rest and relaxation, honoring all who work. So that's part of it, I think. You know, another part of it is that it's, this is kind of the marking of the end of the summer. Not technically yet, but we're looking toward the fall. My wife put fall colors out in our house over the weekend, and I can't tell you how excited I am because 
maybe it means that it will no longer be 130 degrees every single day. So th this is, oh my, I, I mean, this is, this is really my happy time of the year, and I suspect it is for many of you. You know, the kind of work we do, hopefully, for many of us, it falls in the category of labors of love. You know, those kind of things that you do not because you have to, but you do for the pleasure of it. Those labors of love that, that ideally would translate into the kind of work that we literally are, are paid to do. The end of the reading that Jennifer did today kind of hits on that. In chapter 3 and verse 13, it concluded with the phrase, Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. Take pleasure in our toil. I think that's what God longs for us. Uh, there's a prayer that I found that is perfect. It says, you know, for followers of Jesus, every day ought to go something like this. To start each day with gratitude, and then during the day to avoid complaining and to thank others, to recognize that our work is service to God, and actually, our work is an act of praise. We can end each day uh, with more prayers of thanksgiving, and we can know each and every day is a gift. This is a gift, and we have the chance to accept the gift and then to use it in our lives. I mean, that's just beautiful. But I think there's a problem. The problem is that it's tempting for us to, to say, well, you know, who we are as people, we are what we do. I think that's the temptation, for us to be defined by our, our jobs, our careers, our vocations, our toil, our tasks. And it's kind of... It's kind of a challenge because how many of you in the room have had a, a job and a career that you enjoyed and it came to an end? Not because you wanted it to, but because of something that happened in the bigger picture of where you worked. I mean, think about uh, you know, all the different ways that sometimes what you do within your job it transitions. Or you come to a point toward the end of your working career when you say, gosh, I wonder when I want to retire, and what would that be like? And then there's another problem. And I think that problem is that for some people, jobs can be unfulfilling. I think when some people are honest, they would say, I just don't like what I do. This is sucking the life out of me. And think about how sad that can be. When I was growing up in my little hometown in the Midwest, I, I had a snapshot of that, and it actually became a good uh, learning experience. Because when I was in high school and the beginning of college in the summer, I was part of the labor pool for cable printing company a large printing company, nearly a 1,000 employees in a town of less than 4,000 people. 
Well, what I learned when I worked there, particularly in their bindery area, is that, boy, the day was spent often by watching the clock. I mean, it was a place where there were three shifts that happened 24 hours a day, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., 3 to 11, 11 to 7. Boy, that will mess up your sleep habits after a while. And then within the day, there were the, the designated break times, 15 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes for lunch, and 15 minutes in the afternoon if you work that first shift of the day. And what I noticed there is that there seemed to be a lot of people who once they arrived, they were thinking about when they could leave, kind of watching the clock, perhaps going through the motions. And I don't know if it was always that way for them in that particular job that they were doing, but it didn't appear to be the kind of pleasure or the kind of description that that prayer that I mentioned to you a moment ago, it didn't seem to, to fall in that category. So honestly, you know how you learn things sometimes by what you don't want to do. That was a point where I said to myself, I think I want to do as well as I can in class, and I think I want to take advantage of my parents allowing me to go to college because I would like to find something different than this. And I was fortunate that I did, and I think so many of us are fortunate that we do find something that is not only a job, but it's fulfilling. So today, we, this is the perfect time for us to do something that uh, this passage from Ecclesiastes talks about. It was in uh, verse 7 where it said, a time to tear and a time to sow. We have a chance to tear and to sow this morning, to, to tear away certain assumptions and to sew together different assumptions. Actually, that phrase probably came from uh, the ways that people at that time mourned the loss of family members who died. And they had a period of mourning and they had a period of, of rending garments. And then when the time was right, they would go from tearing to sewing, to sewing together a new life on the other side of loss and on the other side of grief. So we have an opportunity to tear away old assumptions and to sew together new ones. And the assumption that I'd like to share with you this morning, the new one, is one that many of us experienced this summer in a, in a, a Monday book study. The study came from a book called On Purpose, Finding God's Voice in Your Passion. And in the very first chapter, there was this realization that for many of us was just like, oh my goodness, this really is true. Here's what it said in that chapter. What is God calling us to do? Sometimes the question brings excitement, ushers in new adventures, but most times it's the cause of anxiety and frustration. We convince ourselves that answering the question of what will solve all of our problems and ease our anxieties. And then it said this, 
we must not forget that who we are is more important than what we do. Think about that for a moment. Who we are is more important than what we do. So who are we? Well, we are children of God. We are gifts from God. We are people who can cherish the labors of love that come our way. And we are people who can always search for the good stuff. Now this is where I need to go to my lunch bag for a moment. Because the good stuff is not my creation, it's the creation of uh, a writer that I've enjoyed for a number of years, a guy named Robert Fulgham. And when he wrote his short story, The Good Stuff, it motivated not only me, but others here in our church to uh, bring to life the story, which I'm going to share with you in just one moment. But I do want to tell you that there are actually two bags here. This first bag was a gift from Mr. Mark, from Mark Burroughs. And it has all kinds of treasures in it. And then this bag, this bag is a gift from my daughter Katie, who also put treasures in it as well. And this bag is literally the kind of bag that this wonderful story talks about. This is Robert Fulgham talking about the good stuff. The bag is marked the good stuff. It contains treasures that have survived many bouts of clean it out and throw it away. If there's ever a fire in our home, the bag goes with me when I run. One of the keepsakes in it is another bag, a ragged paper bag. It's been in my care for 14 years, but it really belongs to my daughter, Molly. One morning, she handed me the bag as I was getting ready to leave for work. I stuffed it into my briefcase and rushed off. During lunch, I tore open the bag and shook out all the contents on my table. Here's what it had. Hair ribbons, stones, a plastic dinosaur, a seashell, used lipstick, chocolate kisses, and 13 pennies. Rising to return to my very important labor, I swept away Molly's junk into the wastebasket. There wasn't anything there that I needed. At home that evening, Molly came up to me and she said, where's my bag? You know, the one I gave you this morning. I want it back. Plus, I forgot to put this note in it. Those are the things I really like and I thought you might like playing with them. Daddy, did you lose my bag? I lied. And I, I said I just forgot to bring it home. Then I unfolded the note that didn't get into the bag that morning, which said, as you can imagine, I love you, Daddy. Those are the things that I really like. Molly had given me her treasures, all that a seven-year-old held dear, love in a paper sack, and I missed it. 
It wasn't the first time that I felt like my daddy permit was about to run out. I went straight back to the office, the pilgrimage of a penitent. I told the janitor what had happened. He didn't make fun of me. He smiled and he said, I have kids too. We searched together and we found the treasures because you're never alone in these things. The next evening, I returned the bag to Molly. She put the objects in a row on the dining room table and she told me the story of each one. Fairies had brought some of the things. I had given her the chocolate kisses. To my surprise, Molly gave me the bag again several days later. I felt forgiven and trusted and loved. I began to uh, do all that I could the evening before so that I would be given the bag. I thought of it as the daddy prize. Well, in time, Molly turned her attention to other things, and she found other treasures. She grew up. She gave me the bag one morning and never asked for it back. And so I have it still. It reminds me of all the times in this sweet life when I've missed the affection that I was being given. A friend calls this standing knee-deep in the river and dying of thirst. So, the worn paper sacks are right here, left over from a time when a child said, here, this is the best I've got. Take it, it's yours. Such as I have, I give to thee. I missed it the first time, but I won't miss it again who we are, by whom we are loved, how we seek to love others is truly more important than what we do. Let us pray. Oh God, this morning we gather with gratitude and we thank you for providing us with all the ways that we can be in community with you and with each other. We thank you for the youngest among us and the oldest among us. And we thank you for all the ways that you bless us, that you offer us the very best of things. May we recognize that our identity lies in you, not through our work, not through our actions, but in the fact that we are loved by you and loved by your son, Jesus, in whose name we now pray as we say together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.